What's up to our sidekicks and hench folk out there in the mother-loving geek nation? You're currently tuning into the Cult Pop Podcast, episode 791. We're changing things up. We changed things up a tad. We're doing, we were doing the weekly comic reviews, but blah, blah, blippity blap. Now we're doing other stuff. Um, we've been movies, graphic novels on alternating weeks, and then a monthly com- comics roundup at the end of every month. I'm your host, Johnny Destructo of Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex, located at 4327 Main Street in Philadelphia, PA, a super rad shop which caters to nerdy and the nerd adjacent. Joining me tonight are Brian Lieb and Noel Bartocci, sup nerds. Hey. Hi. How much? You? Hi. I mean, yeah. Sup you? Me. Yeah, what's up uh, with you? Not much. What's your, I thought I would. I thought I'd do a podcast. Uh, what's oh, your like? What is it about? Rapper? Oh, you know this week. I feel like you weren't listening oh, for the I'll last thirty you. seconds. Yeah. What's it about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this one's gonna. This one's gonna be about Superman, Son of Kal El, the graphic. Well, not graphic. Is it the graphic novel? I think it's once you collected, it's a hardcover right? of the first six issues of Superman, Son of Kal El by Tom Taylor. Yeah. And artists. Oh, it's a graphic yeah. novel. It is not an original graphic novel, which oh, the fact okay. that it's they're using yeah. original graphic novel means that there must be some other kind. True that, home skillet. Um, and but before that, we're going to be talking about an email that we got, and we're going to be talking about what we've been up to this week, huh? Um, thank you to everyone joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. If you like what we're doing here. Please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. The joy of doing this live is all of you down in the chat. So pipe up if you feel so inclined, and we'll comment back to you. Uh, you can also email us at cultpopgo at gmail.com and join our book club Facebook group. If you go to Facebook, there's a little group called JD's Hero Complex Book Club. And uh, that is a Zoom meeting that we have every Tuesday night. It's either a movie or a book. And with that out of the way, I feel as though I should tell you, we've got letters. We've got letters. Yeah, we oh. got we, we got we got one letter. Oh, correspondence. A letter. And it arrived. It correspondence. Uh, it arrived uh, like five minutes ago. Oh, how did Hot. it arrive? <clears throat> Hot letter. Was it via pigeon? Um, Perhaps. Ooh. Telegram. It was it was, was it tied with to the, the little foot of a bat. It was a it was oh. a pigeon on the says, telegraph machine. Yeah, adding its foot just like gotta get this. It's nice that they're still employable. The pigeons in this age I of telegraphs. I mean, it, they're taking jobs from others, but yeah, sure, it's real yeah. nice. <laughs> they took our jobs. <laughs> uh, the email says, "Hey gents, Ooh. what is something you think?" is overhyped something the world is obsessed with that you just don't get 
I have two. Mm. Number one, the Stranger Things. The nostalgia factor of setting it in the past really annoyed me, especially when people ragged on Ready Player One for being nostalgia porn. And the sci-fi aspect just never hooked me. Maybe we will get it all fully explained in the end, but it just feels underdeveloped. Secondly, is the on the list is TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. It feels like the most overhyped comic event since I've started reading comics. The art wasn't great, the story was cliche, and the shipping was inconsistent as all get out. Just a waste of time. Chris St. Saucy, good night. Uh, do either of you fellas have an overhyped example that you would like to pick for? I think so. Um, I, like, uh, across the board, for the first time in being on this, on this podcast with various casts and, and all of you guys for I don't know how many years now, I very much agree with St. Saucy about his second example. TMNT The Last Ronin was fine. But if you were only going off of how the industry and the market seemed to respond to every single issue that was five to six months late, you'd think it was literature that should not be allowed to enter one's eyes, that it's so great. It was a very weird, like, we would be part of these conversations and just as excited as everyone else, and it felt like... I mean, I read it too. I mean, it was good, but okay. Like, it did feel like there was a disconnect versus how I'm supposed to feel versus how I actually do feel. So I will agree with him on that one. I, I think he's insane when it comes to Stranger Things. Uh, but in regards to things that I think are overhyped, um, I, I can I, is it is it cliche for me to say just like Zack Snyder films? Oh, shit. <laughs> that was running through my head, too. I, uh, I mean, almost all of them it. that aren't explicitly shot-for-shot shot adaptations of somebody else's work, they're just fucking messes of movies and just not really good. Mm -hmm. And, like, you have to absorb hours of other materials for it to make sense of what you just watched. And I, I, they're, just, they're, just not, they're just not good. They're, at most, fine. Uh, so, like, uh, uh, that people will worship a technically proficient director who doesn't tell very good stories just makes me, it just weirds me out. Like, uh, worship a director that does it all well, like Edgar Wright. Like, why Zack Snyder? I just don't get it. I really don't get it. But anyway. Okay. I like his movies. Right, what do you got? Uh, but it's a similar thing to what Noel felt with TMNT. Like, I also, I don't know why people are as into his stuff as they are sometimes. Um, but I like his stuff. I'm definitely in the minority among the three of us for that. Like, I've liked the majority of his superhero stuff um, and some other stuff like the 300. Um, even Sucker Punch, I thought, was visually enjoyable. Um, oh sure, it yeah, was a really yeah. nice music video. Yeah, it was. It was four uh, really nice music videos that had something around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed it, you know. Um, but uh, what do I? Nothing really in the modern time. I thought it was interesting, Saint Saucy, that you mentioned how uh, 
you're not into people being into the nostalgia aspect of Stranger Things after everyone came down on Ready Player One, uh, which is a really easy path to to let your mind go into, but they're not really necessarily the same people. It's hard to remember that. Like, the internet seems like this monolith that whatever their prevailing opinion is or whatever you've seen is like, this is what people are saying. And it could be that a lot of those people don't like Stranger Things for that reason too or just for other reasons or whatever. Yeah, Brian, can I can I add something to that? Uh, I think comparing, yeah. things, comparing things to is also very a is a very um, almost folly um, exercise. Like last week when we talked about everything all at once, everything everywhere all at once, there's this mm. kind of false comparison that many people make in regards to it and Multiverse of Madness, how this was better. Like one, yeah, it was probably a better movie as a whole. However, they're two completely separate things. And to just like on a face value compare the two seems a little odd. And I would do the same thing with Stranger Things and, and Ready Player One. And I would make the case for Stranger Things over Ready Player One, whereas the entire point of Ready Player One was to manipulate you via nostalgia. It's literally the plot of the movie to manipulate you via nostalgia, whereas Stranger Things is just an aesthetic, and it's a completely separate story that doesn't have anything to do with the time frame. Like, if anything, it's in that time frame to remove... I 100% agree. Yeah, Yeah, like, so I, I I don't necessarily subscribe to these, like base level comparisons just because like maybe one plot device or one theme is similar, you know? Sorry. Um, Ready Player One is about nostalgia. Yes. Um, if, if Stranger Things, what, and also I enjoyed Better Play, Ready Player One. That's the first thing. I liked Ready Player One, read it twice. I really enjoyed it. I 100% understand the member Barry's problem that people have with it that it's, you know, if Stranger Things, instead of fighting these D&D monsters, part of the thing that they had to do was to quote word for word a scene from The Breakfast Club in order to defeat the D&D monster. Like, that's all Ready Player One was. was It was, it was just references on top of references. Yeah, it was, so I get it. But um, I don't understand not liking Stranger Things. I, that's... That, is so my jam, but it's not for everybody, uh, I guess. Uh, he, uh, Christopher St. Saucy jumps in because he's he's in the chat also. Uh, if Stranger Things was set in ah. present day, it wouldn't be near as well received, to which I it's a thing that you can't actually mm-hmm. say. The, the story works because it removes modern technology. It doesn't – it's not contingent on it being in a specific time period. They would I'll just, tell you what, though. Yeah. It, wouldn't be the thing that it is right like no it doesn't rely on nostalgia but it rides it pretty pretty thoroughly you know um and there's a lot of it that's like this is an echo or pastiche of this kind of 80s movie and i have that reference so i enjoy it but i would counter that that's not necessarily a problem like you had mentioned jd the the member barry's problem is it a problem you know, um, that other people had with it. Oh yes. yeah. 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 I'm, I'm talking to those people. Complete, yeah. Yeah. If, please if direct no, my comments to those people when you see them. If, oh, if, there's no, <laughs> if there's no meat on the bone narratively, it's a problem. Yeah. If it's just a feature, it's not a problem, but like with, uh, with stranger things, I think the, that it works, it is still a phenomena and it's not because of 35 to 45 year olds. 
everyone watches it. Mm. It still is evergreen regarding all demographics, whereas Ready Player One did not make huge box office, and it was rejected by anybody under the age of, like, 30. Mm. Because they didn't have the same reference points, it was very heavily influenced by specific reference points from in the eight like literally the book is the 80s are the most important decade like that's the plot so there's a and if you remove all of the if you remove all of the pop culture references from that book you don't have a book three pages that's the point (laughs) it's the point of the book is the nostalgia and the, the things that he goes through are specifically references that he has to remember. There's a, uh, there's a word in a different language. I don't remember the word, but it means a nostalgia for a place or time to which you have never been, right? And I wonder if that can be... Um, this is I a story of the present. I'm, no, I don't care. <laughs> I made a card for this. Every time that you nice. have a factoid awesome. that has anything yes. to do with connecting other information into the pop culture stuff, Word. it's just Brian Lee's stories of history. This is Brian Lieb's Stories of History. This word mm-hmm. means uh, nostalgia for a place or time to which you have never been. And I think it's a very interesting phenomenon, and I wonder if it relates to the 1980s aesthetic, even of Stranger Things, right? Mm-hmm. You said it's not popular amongst, or it is popular amongst people who are not uh, in our demographic, but like the Wonder Years was popular when we were kids. We didn't live in that time, but it was partially... It was because it was said in that time that it, that it was what it was, right? So let's say Saucy had mentioned earlier that if it was said in present day, it wouldn't be near as well received. And we can't say for sure, right? There's an infinite amount that were and were not said in the present day. And we don't know who, what they would have been or how people would have responded. But it, a case can be made easily that, like, it wouldn't be uh, as popular as it is, or at least not in the same way, if it wasn't in that time and that aesthetic, you know? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a, uh, um, I think it's a good conversation to have in general. Like, um, yeah. I know that I think in, when I was hanging out with you and your wife, JD last week, we were, I don't know what we were talking about, but somebody quoted something and, Oh, see, we were talking about Seinfeld again. And the idea of I, in my youth, and even today, some remnants of it still, I have this compulsion to, reject things that feel like they're being forced on me. And that happens often with popular culture, like stuff like the office and Seinfeld that people get so deeply ingrained in that it becomes like a personality trait. And I almost like shy away from absorbing that stuff because it feels like it's just, that's too heavy. That's too much. I don't, I don't want to only live for a sitcom watching it five times. Like it's so like sometimes when things are popular, I, feel averse to them. So that's something I'm working for. All right. Brian. Yeah. Anamoya. Anamoya? Anamoya is a new and nearly unheard of word. Uh, its meaning is just as the title would suggest, a nostalgic sense of longing for a past you yourself have never lived. Anamoya. Interesting. A-N-E-M-O-I-A. Anamoya. Sweet. Ah. That's, that's like... Half the people that go to cons and in steampunk costumes, Renaissance and fairs, Renaissance fairs. And what was I just yeah. watching? Oh, I was just watching uh, Edgar. Speaking of Edgar Wright mm. and Anamoya, mm. uh, the most recent Edgar Wright film, Last Night in Soho, the main character Daisy 
no, Ellie. The main character Ellie has Anna Moya hmm. for the sixties. Hmm. Uh, we yeah, she's and she's she's like a. We, we're going to be reviewing that next week what? on the show, correct? Great on this show, are we? I mean, that was. Yeah. Yes. Was that agreed upon? That's the next Fantastic. episode. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Like a month ago. Excellent. Excellent. Um, that's cool that um, that word is I'm, coming in. I definitely have that for times and places, you know, uh, that I've never been to. Mars Comics says, so true. My kids love Stranger Things and all of their little friends. They're 14 and 15 years old. There you go. So it's not just the nostalgia factor that makes this show what it is, is what, is what we're saying. Um, all right. So thank you. Did everyone answer? Oh, I didn't answer. I'm going to answer. Yeah, here we go. The Joker. <laughs> yeah. The Todd Phillips film. The Todd Phillips film, The Joker, which was like a phenomenon for a month there. Everyone loved it. Everyone to the theater and said it was a goddamn masterpiece. And I heartily disagree. Um, I think that the movies that the, that the Joker stole from were some of them were masterpieces. I'm not sure um, just taking a bunch of masterpieces and jigsawing them together is a masterpiece in itself. Um, uh, I think the movie was just fine, but having already seen King of Comedy, Fight Club, uh, Falling Down, Taxi Driver, and um, Taxi Driver, I, every scene of that movie, I was like, oh, okay, that's that scene from that movie, that's that scene from that movie. I do not want to take away from Joaquin Phoenix's delivery. His acting on that was mm, chef's kiss, deliciousness. But everything around it was just Timberberries oh, from other better movies. What was it um, uh, on the film cast, formerly the Slash film cast? I believe it was the great Jeff Kanata who described Joker as, <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing, it was as though someone reverse engineered a movie and its iconography from the ideal poster on a confused college kids dorm wall. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Like, like it, it was like, Hey, how can we, how can we get in on that Scarface <laughs> poster money or that, uh, <laughs> you know, because we all went to college and it was just like, you know, yeah. it was so dope to watch these edgy things about like troubled yeah. protagonists but are they protagonists living in living in a society yeah. in a society <laughs> no one understands me type movies yeah. and then like reverse engineering that yeah. compulsion and like slapping some ip on it and i thought that that was the funniest because he's i mean no lies detected from my perspective it was like yeah, yeah for right, sure yeah. um so that leads us directly to a segment we like to call what you been up to this week huh and I'm going to go first because this leads directly into one of the things that I did this. Nope. Um, that's nope. That's not it. Ja, since we were talking about Jeff Kanata from the film cast, also slash film cast, also the totally rad show, which is the whole one of the whole reasons I ever picked up a microphone uh, was uh, that show. Totally rad show. It was a video podcast that gosh, it was Jeff Kanata and Dan Trachtenberg, and oh, the other guy who's also really funny, whose name I've forgotten. Oh, I feel so bad. But uh, I love that fucking show. And Dan Trachtenberg has since gone on to become a director. And he has directed not only 10 Cloverfield Lane, but he did Hulu's big release this week called Prey. 
from 20th Century Fox, uh, and which is a Predator film. Mm-hmm. He says it's not a prequel, but it's kind of a prequel. Like it takes place earlier uh, in written, time. Yeah. Uh, written by Patrick Ason and Dan Trachtenberg, and also directed by Dan Trachtenberg of The Totally Rad Show. So uh, that's why I switched things around, because you brought up Jeff Kanata. So this movie, first of all, the audacity. The audacity to call it Prey mm. and not tell everyone that it is a Predator movie by having it in the title. I thought, mm. bravo, well done, cheers on you. And then I watched this movie, and it was dope as hell. I would say it is the best Predator since Predator 1, the original. And it's it's not silly like that movie is, so it does have a different vibe. Um, but, uh, man, this was awesome. The cinematography, the fact that... Um, oh, there it is, you son of a bitch. Um, for anyone <laughs> listening... Anyone listening to the audio podcast version of this uh, <laughs> all have thrown up the giant handshake that they had done in uh, the original Predator. Anyway, mm-hmm. did, did Brian, Brian, did you watch this movie? I haven't seen it. <clears throat> I have not seen oh, this you movie. you shut the hell up. No. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I agree on. with you. I agree with you that it is the best Predator. It is the best Predator film, franchise film, since the original. But barring... I think I think we could take Alien versus Predator out of the equation because neither of them are in canon or any kind of canon, and all four Predator movies. There's not really a bad one. Like they're all they're all pretty solid. They're all they're all bangers. Uh, I remember not caring for Predator Two, <laughs> and I have heard very bad things about. What what was the last one called? The Predator. Predator? Oh, <laughs> okay. I hate, that uh, I hate that. I mean, I love the Suicide Squad, so it's okay. Uh, so I would, I, I would invite you to revisit Predator Two. It is a Stephen Hopkins masterpiece of neo noir, uh, and it's just so wild seeing Danny Glover. Kind of, it's very much a John McClane type of movie. Instead of, instead of uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger being able to punch a tree, it's more of like the John McClane character where he receives damage and he is not a physical match for this adversary. And it's just, it's just very well done and it's very fun. Um, but anyway, um, I think they're all kind of really fun movies. Even the bad predator movie, it's by Shane Black. So it's incredibly funny and it's just well-written. The third act goes off the rails, but I do love Shane Black. So that makes me want to see Yeah. The third act goes off the rails, but I think that was like studio involvement. Either way, it's watchable. Um, I love this movie. It was so cool. Like, um, I know, I I could tell that it was be, it was successful from jump because it's a bit of a slow burn. It's an incredibly simple story. And my wife, who is not really a big fan of these things, she just kind of like thinks some of them are cool and some of them aren't. She was hooked like 15 minutes in because it was just a very compelling, simple through line of um, I, essentially uh, under undervalued slash um, unassuming strong female lead being told by society she can't do something, but then is put in a position where she has to prove herself mentally, physically, and emotionally. And it was just a really strong, simple story. But then on top of that, it was just incredibly fucking cool. Like it was just an incredibly effective action movie. Um, I loved it. And it was totally, totally uh, rewatchable. It should have been in theaters. However, 
it was yeah. it was explicitly developed and budgeted for Hulu. Like this was a Hulu original. Mm-hmm. So like this isn't a I was having a conversation with somebody about this. This isn't like a movie that got dumped on streaming because the world and we live in a society. It it was made for streaming. It's meant to bring eyes to streaming. That CGI bear was a little off, but I mean, who cares? Yeah, it was rough. But also still tense. Yeah. It was a very tense sequence. Um, Brian. Yes. Hi. It was good. You should check it out. Yeah, I'd be into checking it out. I don't think I've seen one since the first one. And I saw the first one at some point in the early 90s, I guess, or maybe the late 80s. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I remember liking it at the time, and I've heard nothing but good things about this. Uh, yeah, that's Prey. You should check it out on Hulu mm-hmm. if you get a chance, uh, to everyone involved, mm-hmm. uh, everyone listening. Another thing that I checked out this week, actually, Noel and I went with our wives to go see Nope. Mm-hmm. The new Universal Pictures joint, written and directed by Jordan Peele. So, I love, love, loved Get Out. I liked Us. Hmm. Uh, so I wasn't. I was like, oh man, don't let this one be. I hope it wasn't diminishing returns. Hmm. You know, this could be maybe. Maybe it's all downhill. You know, what was it? Uh, but this was so original hmm. and weird. And entertaining and funny and clever, and it did something with a genre of a subgenre of movies that I had never seen from this subgenre of films before. And I was delighted. I walked out of the theater. No, I walked out of the theater. What did I say to you? God, I don't remember. I said, Damn it, no. I said, uh, It was good. I'm never going to think about this movie. Oh, before. yeah. That was so funny. I walked out. <laughs> and yet, here <laughs> you are. Talking about the not movie. Only, the whole ride home. Not only here I am. <laughs> I have been thinking about it since yeah. then. Uh, so I was way wrong. Hmm. I um, and when I remember, man, I remember yeah. when you said that too. I was just like, oh, because uh, hmm. I, yeah. I feel like it's already like it was. We had walked right out of it, and it was already roll like the movie itself was already rolling out a sleeping bag and setting up a camp inside of my brain. Uh, and it's yeah. just lived there rent free all week long because the more I think about it, the more that, so like on this, and I don't want to talk about what it actually is about, what it isn't about. It's just a movie. No, we're not going to um, spoil anything on the yeah. surface. It's an incredibly simple movie, but then when you start to peel away, like themes, characters, history, real life on top of just the very blanket genre definition that would be on a one liner, it just gets better and better and better because it, it makes you it's almost like somebody did thousands of hours worth of research and homework just to show you enough information on a business card but the more that you dig into the business card you can see all the work that they did it, it's mm-hmm. it's it was so fucking awesome I liked it a lot I, I loved get out I've still yet to see us. I own it. I, just I really want you to watch yet. it so that we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I'll tr- like last night in Soho and then us for homework purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, like it was a really slow movie, but it was never a boring one. Like maybe only one thing in the entire movie kind of bothered me. And uh, did he have to do that kind of way? But besides that, it was it was a it was a perfect 
Spielberg-esque movie. I loved it. When you get a t- when you get when you get a chance, I want to know what the one thing was. I don't know if we talked about it off air. Oh, I'll, um, I'll 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 throw it in so the yeah. chat to you. And then, oh, the last thing I wanted to bring up uh, on my part was the Orville. Mm. So I don't care very much about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've enjoyed the Star Trek Discovery. Ah, Discovery. Yes. I enjoyed Disco- Discovery. And Strange New Worlds. Enjoyed I, no, it's fine. I watched yeah. one episode of it and I didn't really care. Oh, screw you. Um, what was the other <laughs> one? Uh, Picard. I watched oh, the first season of Picard and I like that. <laughs> That's my Star Trek give, shit, shit Givens. All right. Uh, who's the younger brother of Robin Givens, Shit Givens. Uh, That's unfortunate. And, uh, and I was even less interested in the Orville mm. because I was like, oh, Seth, Seth MacFarlane, I don't, like, he's fine. I don't care. I don't really want to. I watched, like, half of the first episode, and I was like, this isn't funny. I don't care about this. But then because, in, wait, over this way, because Noel kept talking about it, the other night, I was like, I talked to Sushan, and I was like, all right, let's try it out. Let's, let's give it a go. And we watched the, I think it's the third episode, the one you told me about, yeah. Noel, um, about the um, the baby. Oh, the that's the third baby. episode? The gender reassignment episode is season one, episode three. It's like, oh, dick wow. joke, dick joke, so kind of f- good, kind of good. Boom. Yeah. Straight yeah. up, well-layered, mm-hmm. messaged, crazy, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I watched that one. And uh, we really liked nice. it. And then we nice. watched the next one, which was about the the city that doesn't know it's a spaceship. That was cool as hell too, man. I was really impressed. The I, and I think it's on purpose. The because part of it's like, man, that's real cheap. It's a real cheap looking show. But I have a feeling that's part of the whole thing is to have like original Star Trek type budgetary constraints. But then also tell compelling stories. Um, so yeah, I'm a little amazed that they're allowed to do this. Honestly, that they're allowed to make this show that's not Star Trek that is also 100 yeah, percent Star Trek. It's very clearly Star Trek, but I mean they don't they don't say holodeck, they don't say go to warp. You know what I mean? As far as you know, rights wise goes, you know, you yeah, can structure it this neat. way. Yeah. The, I, so um, anyway, yeah. it's funny you brought up the production value because it is an incredibly expensive show to produce, but that I think it's because they're trying to capture a very specific aesthetic. Like it's almost like it's just as expensive to make it look of an era than it is to just mm-hmm. get old equipment and do it all in camera kind of stuff. But um, mm-hmm. I've also been re. This was this started last week. Uh, I, I yeah. watched the first season years ago and there's like a two-year gap between seasons like because it was a, a long show to produce if they do it like a streaming show where they literally write it all at one clip and then film it all in one clip mm-hmm. so it's there's always big gaps and then covid gave it like an extra three-year gap between season two and three so i completely dropped off the show even though i enjoyed it but this past week i started watching season two because everyone keeps talking about how great season three is so I started watching season two and I think I blinked and I'm six episodes in. It even got to the nice. point where I was, um, I came home from the shop and put it on while we were making dinner. And my wife who hates Seth MacFarlane and is not interested mm-hmm. in this show at all, like 15 minutes in, she was like, I didn't even know she was watching behind me. She was asking me questions. <laughs> the show 
like just digs into you. Like it's not the prettiest looking, it's not the most accessible, um, and the premise itself is like so recognizable that you want to just shrug and not care. But it just it just digs into you, and it's there forever now. Like it's just a really really effective show. I like it a lot. Yeah, and I would say season three is uh, really nice looking. I think like same aesthetic and all that stuff, but they clearly have more effects going on or a larger budget going on. And it also expands into different amounts of time, which is cool storytelling wise, uh, cause it just lets it play out. However it wants to play out. But, um, it, yeah, I feel like this is not the Seth MacFarlane that anyone is familiar with from family guy or American dad. Right. Um, it is, you know, he's doing, uh, a totally different show. He's doing a star Trek show and the, it's so Star Trek that it's not a problem for me, right? It's not like, hey, he's trying to rip off Star Trek. This guy, what does he think he's getting away with? But it, it's like, he's like, hey, everybody, I'm going to rip off Star Trek. Are you guys interested in that? Let's check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robert Monroe Jr. says, wait until you get to seasons two and three. And then season three went to Hulu, mm -hmm. and the production value is great. It's obvious they have a larger budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just larger uh, and it's also, stories. I, I, there's some really funny bits, too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I've laughed out loud a couple of times. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It very much reminds me of um, uh, not in – I wouldn't like equate them completely, but tone-wise, it's very much not unlike Shaun of the Dead, where it's a legitimate zombie movie the characters themselves mm. yeah. revert to jokes and comedic scenarios, but it never, it never diminishes or doesn't take seriously the premise of the whole thing. So like, it's a legitimate yeah. Star Trek style sci-fi show, but the people themselves rib on each other and have funny conversations and aren't self-serious mm -hmm. in every single yeah. moment. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's yes. not distilled into one or the other. It's a comedy or it's a drama or a comedy and a sci-fi show. It's kind of all of it. And yeah, but you're right. No, the they, gag is never the story. No, like, the gag is never the solution to the problem or uh, something about the problem itself, unless the problem is inherently funny in like an authentic way. But um, uh, yeah, yeah um, it's, a, the, it's an important the, one of the episodes in season two. I don't think this is a spoiler. One of the episodes in season two um, has to do with Bordis. Um, uh, what's the name of their Mocklins? Mocklins only e, pee yes. once a year. That's just a part of their physiology. <laughs> it's his time. Yeah. He has to pee. It's his time to pee, so they have to go to Mocklin. Now, because they only do it once a year, it is a ceremony called Loja, Loja, something like that. Uh -huh. Galoja. Um, and you invite your loved ones to witness you pee. So <laughs> he wants to invite the, he, you know, invites the crew, but then, you know, like having the meeting before, like, all right, guys, I'm going to, like, just hold your jokes because this is a real thing and it's important. Bordis has asked us to watch him pee. And it's just like, that's the premise and it's funny, but it's taken completely seriously. And, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. it's funny, like after, like he's peeing off of a cliff and everyone's just like, Jaloja! Like just, <laughs> it's a very, very funny premise, but it's not taking the piss out. It's not taking the piss out uh, of like uh, culture. It's fun. It's a good show. It's, it's totally yeah, worth yeah. Uh, exploring. Yeah. 
Robert Moreau uh, Jr. is right. I have a follow-up question. Oh, what's the uh, follow-up question to Noel? What you been up to this week, huh? Um, well, other than the things that I watched that were the same as you, uh, I figured... Yeah. <laughs> um, I Let's did, talk about the Orville again and pray. Yeah. <laughs> I did watch... Um, uh, this is kind of a... I, I, you know, I'm going to go with comics first. I read some comics. I still read comics on a weekly mm. basis, and I wanted to touch base on two books that we have both... We've all kind of, like, reviewed at times, but I'm still on. So... The first one I want to talk about was one that has just recently been uh, announced as uh, ending uh, on issue 30, which is Once in Future, written by Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. Um, the book is still fantastic. It's incredibly dense, and it, it, um, it rewards your attention. And by dense, I mean that they play constantly with literature. Like the, one of the biggest premises of the movie or the show is or the book. Holy shit. One of the biggest premises of the book yeah. is that um, stories aren't real, yet we can manifest stories to become real in this kind of other world scenario. So, like, the entire oh, world cool. has been engulfed by other world. Yeah, so they... That's cool. It, it started as just uh, King Arthur, but now yeah. it's because people know the truth, they are manifesting tons of other things. And it's mm. I, I, I don't consider this a spoiler, but every a lot of other people's versions of Arthur because there are many versions of Arthur that have existed in literature, are manifesting. And now it's this large war of all the Arthurs fighting each other to be the once-in-future king of the land and, like, all claiming supremacy. This book is absolutely phenomenal. And they're looping in other literature. So, like, maybe Robin Hood makes an appearance or something like Robin Hood. Beowulf makes an appearance. Um, the Green Knight, a whole bunch of things. And they are, abs- it absolutely feels like they're ramping up for a big finale. Oh, shit. Uh, it absolutely feels like they're ramping up for a big finale. Oh, and the end of issue 28, which is the most recent issue on the on the stands, um, it ends with a cliffhanger that ripped my goddamn heart out. And any other book, I would think like, oh, there's no way that they did that. That character is absolutely not. But knowing this is a Kieran Gillen book, I don't know. That character might not be okay. And it really, like, mm. it's been a while since I've read something that really affected me that much. It's very, very good. <sighs> People need to take... You, how much of the read, story read, is that that you just held up there? Is that volumes one 18. and two? Or? That's the first 18 issues, which 18 is the first three trades. So they did say that they're going to release a second volume of that hardcover, which will be the remaining 12 issues and probably like a cover gallery. So it's, it's going to be five trades, 30 issues or two large, uh, slip case, oversized hardcovers. It's, it's a phenomenal book. And I desperately would love a cable or streamer to start developing it because it's just, it plays with so much awesome public domain IP that I don't understand why it's not been picked up yet. It's so good. Um, and the others is in the comments agreeing with you. I have been on Once in Future since issue one. It's really good. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't always understand Thanks. what's going on. Good. I don't under, always under, oh, yeah. I don't always understand the reference. I don't always understand like the characters themselves never dumb down what they're talking about or what they're referring to for the mm-hmm. for the reader. So it requires you to do a little extra research or just go along with the context. So like their big plan has to do with something with like a mythical lake and a mythical this and a verse that I don't know. 
But I'm like, all right, let's just let's go. Sure. That's the thing about Kieran Gillen that we've been saying for probably a decade now is that he is a writer who gets ass deep into something and then writes a story about it and he just drags you along. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't always explain everything. So, yeah, it's, whether it be, you know, Brit Pop from the, the 90s or, you know, King Arthur stories or the God, Pantheons of Gods, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. in the first issue of that, uh, I, I think it was the first issue, King Arthur is brought back, or a version of King Arthur is brought back with the sheath of Excalibur. And yes. I was like, hang on a second. The sheath of Excalibur? Is that a thing? Yeah. And it... It's a thing. It's part of a pre-existing mythology. It has healing powers. Um, so issue number one, something that I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, right off the bat. It's cool. Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 so it's it's almost it's it's very compl- the book is very complicated, but it's not convoluted. So there is like those that know the truth, or like you know the the main character and like the secret organization and stuff, which you guys have read through. Those that know the truth, if they they can manipulate events to be reminiscent of certain stories for their benefit. So like if somebody has gone through X, Y, and Z and is a female of X, Y, and Z persuasion, then they could make themselves a character in a story and manifest plot threads. Mm. It's, it's Mm. such a wild fun book. I, everyone should read it. It's, I mean, it should win book club over and over again and we should, we should talk about it in its entirety. It's very good. Um, the other one, we should do the other, the other one I wanted to talk about really, really quick. You guys read the first couple of issues along with us is um, um, Batman Killing Time. That's yes. Tom King and David Marquez miniseries. It finished. Um, and I I think it really stuck the landing. Uh, early, like, what was it? Maybe issue three or four is when you guys, like, kind of fell off. Issue five. Oh, we not reading it for the show. Yeah. Fell off. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's still appropriate yeah. terminology. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless I said, if yes. when you guys flip the table and tell it to fuck itself, like, no, it, you just, you I off. did do that when we got off that, that week. I, it was a mess. Well, that's, if it happens in, if it doesn't happen on camera, it didn't happen. Um, yeah. But, uh, in the fifth issue, uh, so we I don't have a son. Huh? Oh. <laughs> this is your entire existence, JD. Yeah. The, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> these memories that you have are part of this now. So, so yeah. <laughs> the, the plot devices or the storytelling devices in the book regarding like back and forth and how it was being told almost like in retrospect or as a heist. Um, for me, it was like working, but then it wasn't working. Then it was getting cumbersome, but then it kind of kicked back in. And I know, I think JD loved it the whole time or like the, it was the book that was like five minutes ago, three months from now, 2,500 years from now or 2,500 years ago, five minutes from now. It was doing that back and forth. Yeah. And the end of the fifth issue pulls that entire thing together with the reveal. And then the sixth issue is just like just firing on all cylinders because now, you know, all of like the reasons. And it's just it's just such a good ending. And the art is just beautiful. But that fifth issue is um, it's just a giant melee between every single rogues uh, henchman. And it's hilarious and disturbing all at the same time. It's just, this is a, a really, really strong miniseries. I definitely mm-hmm. wanted to finish it. It just ended, it, and I was like, oh, shit, it's over already? Damn. 
Oh, it was coming out like job. clockwork. There was no delays at all. Ooh. So, yeah. It was a whole meta like thing. Like clockwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and the last thing. Brian. Yo. Yeah. What's oh. up? To the Brian. Hey, you Thanks. guys, a little while ago. Brian. <laughs> I've got a thing. This is what I've been yeah. up to that isn't this thing. A little while ago, oh. um, I showed you the Silver Surfer action figure that I had, and you were like, hey, do you have that Infinity Gauntlet on you? And I said, I think yeah. so, and I couldn't find it. Well, behold. Uh, I will hold it. Behold it. I'm holding it. You behold it. Yeah. Um, it is being held. Excellent. It Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's here, a little miniature Infinity Gauntlet that... Uh, I don't think I've tried to wield it yet, but I don't know you, if it's from this universe it or not. I can't. Hang on a second. Well, nothing happened. For, for the <laughs> listener, he is trying to place a small, 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 small toy onto his index finger. Yes. And now it looks like it's a beefy arm. Club. On a <laughs> really, that's secondary to my true attempt here. I should probably try to manipulate time or reality or something like that. Thank so you. Tiny. Tiny. Comment saying, so cool, so tiny. Yeah. Not something you always want to hear, time. but in this case. Yeah. I mean, at least it's cool. That's true. At least it's cool. Right? It's true. That yeah. would be, it's so exuberant. There's an exclamation point. I think that would be something you would want to yeah. hear. Come to think of it. Um, now, Brian, I have a question for you. What is it? <laughs> Just how with it, JD. Just <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to dodge or prevaricate. What's the question? What you been up to this week? Oh, JD, I was watching something called The Sandman on Netflix. Ah. Um, Tom Thomas Hayden Church. I saw it from Spider Man Three. Uh, no, it's a new character. He's just oh. loves sand. It's a documentary. Anakin. Wait, they made a show yeah. about Wesley Dodds of Sandman Mystery Theater? That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, it's none of those things. And uh, they do pronounce it sometimes like I did just then, Sandman, uh, which they which is really of little consequence, but I thought it was is interesting. It, is it pronounced some other way? Sandman? No, I mean, they just heavily Sandman. emphasize that it's like two words, like Sandman. You know, where you much less emphasize the D in it. And they're like, oh, the Sandman. Uh, How was the show? It's great. Um, another quick thing, when he, uh, Morpheus has a voiceover is the very beginning of it. And I was like, oh, he's British. Which I didn't, I mean, it makes sense. It's Neil Gaiman, a lot of it takes place in yeah. England. He's definitely not British. He's an anthropomorphization of dreaming. But... The guy is British, and uh, I was like, oh, how about that? But what, this guy, yeah. What colloquial affectation would he have if he's if he's just an endless manifestation? Well, no, but when I read the comic, I just read him in an American accent when uh, I heard it. You know what I mean? Not that I... He's like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like me at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, mean I wasn't like, he's contacted not to do British. it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I read it, I read it as, like, powerful, ethereally cosmic entity, not British guy. And so I didn't assign an accent, so I, you know, just read it in, you know, it's in mine. Um, or none uh, in my head. But anyway, the guy who does it, 
I would say is as close to the comic as you can get and have him it's be a nuts. real guy, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like, he does it really well. Um, he looks the part from almost every angle. Um, and his... Almost. Yeah. You know what? I did notice that when you it's... see him from kind of underneath uh, and you're coming up from chin perspective, you know, he's like, oh, maybe not quite. Now he looks like a his, human again. Like a real person. lacking. <sighs> I guess we have different tastes in ass, no. A little more junk. <laughs> a little bit more junk. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's beautifully done. The the imagery is great when you see in the dreaming. Um, all of the all of the acting is is really well done. And he, Todd Sturgis, I think Tom Todd Sturridge, Tom, the man playing Morpheus, I think it's Tom. Tom Sturridge. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, he nails the like the kind of. Uh, um, sedate importance in Morpheus's delivery. Um, I heard that in the beginning he was doing kind of a gravelly voice in Neil Gaiman told him, you know, everything Morpheus says is etched in stone. You know, that's how. There is no hesitation. Um, it is just statement. I added those last two parts, but he said etched in stone. And um, he nails that um, aspect of it. The woman playing death is great. Uh, the I wouldn't have picked Patton Oswalt as... Um, as uh, what's his name, Matthew the Raven, but it works like it, it fits. Uh, Tom Angle says he's mildly disappointed with Death, much more disappointed with Lucifer. It's overall quite good. Agreed. I I agree with you about Lucifer. I think um, what is his name, Gwendolyn Christie, does a great job as oh she plays Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, she does cool. a great job. I saw her in the trailer. Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, yeah, she's Lucifer. Um, I feel like she is an excellent version of a character. She is not the, she's not bringing the Lucifer that I think of from the comics, right? Like everyone else is pretty spot on, even though they're not all exactly like they are in the comics. Um, she isn't quite capturing that. And some of it may be as simple as the hair, right? It's this like, angelic page boy kind of hair yeah um, um i will say like i have no issue with like um uh the casting but that haircut is awful uh yeah and i know it, what they're going for they're going for like a renaissance era angel yeah but the the uh but, the, yeah it's supposed to be like bowie or like that was i know the, that was the visual yeah. reference of it being just like a, yeah. almost um androgynous sexy but not Very cosmopolitan like yeah sort of not yeah, not pay, like Galahad yeah. page boy haircut. It has nothing to do with gender. It's just kind of like an. Uh, it was like it's no, a choice. Yeah. It's just a choice. It is, and they may change that choice as the story progresses. There certainly was a big change to Lucifer in the comic, where like yeah. his whole role is is altered. Um, but you know the. Um, I wonder also how often I'm I'm picturing Lucifer wearing suits and that kind of thing more from his series than yeah. Sandman. Um, so anyway, that that very small sort of delivery or characterization issue aside, everything else is just so good. I think it mirrors the comic in a way where 
the opening is cool, and then it hits a particular issue in the comic, an episode here, where I'm like, whoa, yeah. And it just, you know, kicks it up a notch. Which, Sandman's which, it up a notch from there. Which, without spoilers, which episode does it kick it up a notch for you? Um, Do you remember the number? It is five, I believe. Okay. It is the same story that kicks it up a notch in the comics. Which, I which think the, story is that? Which The diner? No, um, it's the one where he meets, it's the one where you see death and he, he meets death and Neil Gaiman has said like, this is where I figured out what Sandman was all about. Yeah. That's like, that's like issue nine or 10. Yeah. Yeah. Now in this though, Sandman has already been written. And so the first half of this, of this season, which is more or less the, uh, a lot of the first volume of the series has the benefit of him already having figured out what he's up to, what he's doing with Sandman, right? So there's definitely things that I don't think were seated in the plot that little hints were in, but just more importantly, characterization. And, you know, there's a bit in the in the comic where he's like, oh, these superheroes have arrived since I've been in prison. I'll have to see what they're up to. Because he thought he was going to tell a more superhero universe, I assume, yeah. right? So this is much more streamlined and just straight Sandman from episode one. JD, you, what was your experience with the show so far? And I'll share mine. I love it. Nice. Uh, I was not sure what I was going to think about it because I'm not hundred percent on board for the comic book all the time. Uh, I've been on volume four. I borrowed volume four from my friend Julia, like four years ago. Mm. I'm still, I still haven't finished it. Mm. We watched one episode of Sandman, uh, and it was perfect. It was nice. awesome. I really, really liked it, and I'm really excited to finish this season. I'm, I'm having, I'm having an experience that I'm having with the book, where I read an issue, I enjoy it. It's delightful. This is very nice. I could see the artistry, but then when I close the book, it doesn't feel vital for me to continue immediately. So I've watched the first episode, thought it was beautiful. I, I liked it a lot. Um, but I didn't feel compelled to just binge like I do some other shows. So it's, I don't know it, it, this, this might just be a me problem um, that the, the content or the, the content type doesn't necessarily, it isn't like my button, but it doesn't mean that I won't enjoy it. Like I had to force myself. So I, I loved Lucifer, but I had to force myself through the first like 20 issues because as much as I was enjoying it, it wasn't until like it became like almost muscle memory that I, was able to like start really rolling forward with it. But then I just yeah, loved yeah. the experience at the end of it too. So it might just be like a, this is like my weak spot. This, like this genre is just my weak spot and I have to like push a little harder for it. Not unlike like Westerns with some people like hate Westerns, but this one is really fucking good and everyone loves it. It's kind of like that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, I did the opposite with this one. I didn't intend necessarily to watch it straight through, but that is what I did other than sleeping in the middle of it. Um, I was just like, oh, how about episode two? Well, then episode three and episode four is right after. And I, uh, then I yeah. was falling asleep. So I'm like, all right, I got to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I feel like too, like where, like with a show like this that feels uh, timeless, um, mm-hmm. you know, despite special effects, it's just like these types of stories, or at least it sounds like it's well done enough and or, Sandman itself is so timeless. 
sometimes it feels to me like I don't have to rush to finish it or watch it. It's yeah. going to always yeah, be yeah. there, you know? Yeah. And then they also are two very challenging, like they're, they're just thematically challenging. Uh, and I've not necessarily been in a headspace to be challenged lately. It's been like, mm. I'm going to sit through the Orville and watch and read yeah, yeah. superhero comics because I'm not exactly yeah. sure I care to be entertained by existential crises of uh, life, death and oh, yeah. dreams. And yeah. yeah, so it's it's. I'm looking forward to experiencing it, but it hasn't felt like something I have to hurry up before it gets spoiled for me, like some other yeah, pop yeah. culture or Netflix shows, you know? Um, and Sandman has been around long enough that you, well, you could get spoiled as to something now that it'll be more in, you know, people are talking about this show. Yeah, maybe. But, um, well, who knows? But, uh, you know, it's funny you should say that about the timelessness because it was one aspect that I was really happy to see that you have really no reason to think it wouldn't be there, but Morpheus is one of the oldest entities in existence. So you see flashbacks, you see other time mm-hmm. periods that he's in. And um, oh, that's cool. that was really cool to see too. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Yes. Nice. Excited. So, I'm looking forward to, did, did you say you finished the whole season? I did. I did. Nice. Yeah. That's and awesome. It was great straight through. Cool. Um yeah, I just loved it. it. I was like, I want this to be, as I get further on, I was like, well, when will I have time to sit down? And this would be cool if it was a <laughs> singular experience uh, that I'm going through. Uh, so, yeah. And it's very yeah, popular. Really cool. awesome. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. see how they won't make yeah. another season or just try and continue it. I, and, I mean, they paid a lot of money for Sandman. And Sandman is really popular in general. And yeah, you're right. Like, it's number one right now, I think, on Netflix. Uh, question without oh, spoiling anything yeah. um mm-hmm. how far does potentially the first season go like if you had to guess like because I, I mean 12 seasons is like a little ridiculous because it's a lot of material do you do they like end at a certain point that just like oh i can see this maybe i, mean, I can tell you four. exactly which graphic novel it oh sure yeah which graphic stories novel? of so uh novels it um so sandman when it was published had like stories that I guess were allowing the uh, the artist to catch up, but is now collected in like volume three is for kind of uh, individual stories that aren't arcs, you know? So this does um, volumes one and two mainly, but kind of remixes it a little. So some stuff that happens in volume two might happen later or something from volume one is in the back half. I, or yeah. Whatever. I mean, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Variability on the side. You're saying yeah, it yeah. mostly covers one and two. Prelude and Nocturne. It's one and two with, I believe one of those volume threes put in there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's from that, you know, that kind of deal. And then, um, yeah. So it looks like it will pick up then with, uh, Four because three sounds like a sounds like a five or six season show then yeah I could see that yeah Mm -hmm. and it might get to be a little more like Preludes and Nocturnes and uh, a Doll's House are um, or is it Game of You Doll's House of course that uh, no one on those are a little correct you no (laughs) I correct myself Um, we are going to move on though but uh, we will. no, I don't remember. Now we're going to move on. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh, hey, they're shorter. Um, so they could be longer seasons in the later, or full season and things in the later one. There we go. Um, 
quick uh, commercial break. If you guys want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo. You can rate and review us on iTunes or what have you. Uh, email us at cultpopgo at gmail.com. Do all of those things. Help us out. If you don't have any money and you don't want to help us out on patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo, that's okay as well. Just come hang out with us in the chat and be part of the show. And uh, that's all we ask. Let's move on to the meat of the show. We're going to be discussing Superman, Son of Kal-El, Volume 1, um, by Tom Taylor and someone else. John Timms. Who's it? John Timms. Uh, so, what happened was Superman had a son, and his name is John Kent. And for a while there, he was like eh, 12-ish, 10 to 12 years old, and he would be hanging out with Damien, and they had their own um, series a couple of times called The Super Sons, The Challenge of the Super Sons, Adventures of the Super Sons. And they were, they were beloved. Uh, I really liked watching the two of them hang out, these two kids, um, one being the son of Superman, one being the son of Batman, Bruce Wayne. And then Brian Michael Bendis came along. And he said, well, what if I didn't allow that to happen anymore? And I aged him up to be a teenager. So he took John Kent, who was about 12, 13, uh, and then was like, hey, he's 18 now. He's a teenager. He's like, he's a grown man. And uh, that happened. And it pissed a lot of people off. And um, didn't really bother me as much. Uh, you can still tell. And they are. They are still telling Super Sun stories that take place back when he was younger. So it has done nothing <laughs> uh it has ruined nothing and um yeah so tom taylor is a, a very good writer that i really enjoy he worked on books such as uh, uh the video game what was that called injustice he worked on the injustice comic book and uh right now he's doing dark ages i believe for marvel comics and he's also writing superman son of kal-el the big news for John Kent, son of Kal-El, is that he came out as bisexual. Bisexual or gay? Bisexual, I believe. Bisexual. Yeah. Although I don't know that they said that in the comic, but that's what the press was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he gets a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this, my quick little review of this book, is all of the people who get mad at books that are woke, quote-unquote woke, and they use that term as a derogative, derogatory term. Uh, th- this is the book they mean. This is when they're talking about Miss Marvel, the TV show, being woke. It's not really woke. It's just not a straight white male character. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> right. uh, it's not woke at all. It's just a character that. Like, wait, they're Muslims. Uh, this book, woke. I think. Yeah. This this book, I think, is the book they mean to me to be mad at. Because um, it does deal with social justice, warrior, uh, liberal, very liberal-leaning uh, storylines. I guess to be fair, they're saying that wokeness caused Ms. Marvel, um, rather than it itself is. I don't, think, I don't think that's uh, to be fair. fair yeah, yeah. To your being fair, yeah. I don't think they know what the fuck they're talking about, and they hear a buzzword yes. on... Um, Fox News, and they just call whatever they don't like woke. I will, I will uh, concur with that too. To be fair yeah. to uh, the real world, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, that being said, I really enjoyed this book. I think this was a lot of fun. I liked that it, it 
took because uh, it had it, it answered some questions about Superman Kal El that have bothered me since I was a small boy. Mm. Why doesn't he do certain things to mm. help the planet at large? And when and the answer isn't just well because it's a comic book. Um, and we need to keep everything in the, what do you call it? The second act? Yeah. The second act. Even like roughly the real world is even, even more than that, you know? Um, Mars comic says, to be fair, (laughs) I think, I think this book is pretty good. I don't see what all the drama is about. Same, same Mars. I agree. It's pretty fair. Uh, I think the drama comes from people who just like to stir up drama, even when there is none. Well, there's Um, a lot of money in that. You know, yeah, there is There's a lot of, lot of rage clicks mm-hmm. to get from it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really liked it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's really well written. I think the art is uh, up and down. I think there's peaks and valleys to the art. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think this is a, a great book. Brian, what did you think of Superman, Son of Kal-El, Volume 1? I like it. Um, I went into it kind of. And now, we read the first few for the show, um, and I didn't reread the first one now, but... I went into it kind of like, all right, you know, it's different Superman. Where's Superman? You know? Um, and if he was Superboy, then none of that would be an issue for me at all. And I would just, you know, I, I would just read it as a different super character and not uh, and just be automatically in love with it to begin with because it's a super character. But um, that being said, I read this and as I read through it, I was like, Oh, it's a good story. Like, I really enjoy the Superman story that is being told with Jonathan Kemp. You know, I mean, he's not going to be Superman forever, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was cool. Uh, I thought a lot also, J.D., about what you were saying. The Like, why doesn't Superman do these things? And to me, there's an element of defeatism and therefore lack of excitement about Jonathan Kent's Superman saying that he is going to do those things because he's not going to do those things, right? Like Mm -hmm. Superman in these stories, in these ongoing stories will most likely never use his abilities to fundamentally change the way the world works because Mm -hmm. it brings it out of this world and comics maintains a sort of superhero reality set continually renewed in our world that they don't like nothing really changes anything greatly. And so I'm rooting for him. I like seeing that he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. This is not an Elseworlds story. This is not an alternate reality. Like, um, I think it was cool that he got arrested with that group of people and that does seem to affect change, but the promise of using his powers in some grander way, um, is hollow. And it's one reason that, you know, people that complain about Superman being woke in his first appearance, he's like knocking down slums, which I've never really been clear on how that helps the people living in the slums. But apparently it does in some way. Um, and he's, you know, he's a social justice warrior. That is his whole deal. Um, as his power increases, that becomes untenable because if he's the Superman from Action Comics number one, why would he not? reform governments and economies to better serve everyone, you know, now that he has the power to do so. The example of the reason that they always give is, well, you have to do it. They'll have to do it themselves. Me being this powerful, I either shouldn't be doing it because I'm not human, which is what they say here, or um, 
I, I just can't. All of my power, they have, it has to come from within or else it won't last. Um, they're both fine reasons. But yeah, overall, this book, I really enjoyed it. I like Jonathan Kent's characterization. And um, uh, I thought it was a great in- opening arc, giving him a cool villain, too, of a, a country to face. And how's he going to handle this one? Yeah, Bendix, right? From the, um, what was it, Stormwatch. Yeah. The old the old Stormwatch book. Oh, is he a pre-existing yeah. guy? Yeah. Yeah, yes. Wild oh, Storm, I yeah. See. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's cool. <sighs> no. Um, what makes this a Superman book for me? And there's a couple of things that you had mentioned, um, uh, Brian, that I I get, but I, I don't necessarily agree with. But um, before that, what makes this a Superman story to me is um, I love the idea of altruistic youth trying to take on the world because they have the ability to. Because for the last like 50 years of Superman stories, it's been about um, having power and the strength to not use it. And now it's about having power and the courage to use it. And I think that that's a really, really cool other side of the coin story to tell about a man coming into his own. Like I really, really enjoy that kind of aspect of it because he... He's suffering from the most, he's suffering from like the greatest case of imposter syndrome that's ever existed. Mm. People call him Superman or like either, either call him Superman and he doesn't accept it or refuse to call him Superman and he, it just feeds into his imposter syndrome even further. So there's this, I don't know, like I, I like the idea of wanting to question everything and tear down potentially tear down systems of oppression, but then understanding, which there's some ways that he does understand it in this, or he hasn't understood it yet, that um, it's a lot more difficult and complicated than just having the ability to, which is maybe something that his father did know. And I really, really love the conversation he has with his father. I think it's either this or the next page where it's, how come you didn't really do this or that? And he's like, well, no matter what, I've always been, an outsider, no matter what, I've always been an outsider. You were born here. It's almost more your right to try and solicit change more than my right was, which is fine. Uh, but emotionally, I understand it. It's a better yeah. explanation emotionally that we've ever gotten, <laughs> which is usually just like, it's not my place. And then they leave it alone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this is actually kind of digs yeah, yeah. into the impulse to, to, uh, practice restraint that Kal-El has, yeah. you know, like he's afraid of being perceived as a God. So mm. always restrains himself. Whereas Jonathan is of earth. This is his home. He should have at least, at least feel some agency into how it gets reshaped. And I like that theme a lot. Um, and I think this book does it really well. Uh, things that I didn't really care for. We'll talk about the art again. John Timms, I've always kind of dug his style, but I, the last time I saw him was on Young Justice and very airy, colorful books. I know that this book is trying to almost appeal a little bit more to, I guess, a YA audience, which is not a bad thing. Mm. And the style suggests that. But the almost the, the gravitas of the stories sometimes loses weight in the playful way that it's depicted in the art. Like I almost want a 
Ivan Reese or a um, or a top t- or or like an Ed McInnes or a Olivier Coipel, like a a artist that you would put on a grade A top tier book because this reads like a grade A top tier book, but the art is like of a all ages kind of fun action book. Do you know what I mean? Like I almost well, wanted Superman. to. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's it's a it's, it's Superman. Like this premier. is the, <laughs> right. This, yeah. There are two Superman titles on the stands. This is one of them. This is a top tier mm-hmm. book. And as yeah. much as the art is good and serviceable and, and really works, I actually like his acting style in here. It just still doesn't feel like a Superman book. You know what I mean? Like I I just mm-hmm. I I don't know. Like maybe it'll grow on me a little bit more as the story goes because I definitely will keep reading. But um <clears throat> Yeah, the art was just fine, and the story was great. That's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. Uh, there's a – I flipped through it earlier um, as on the screen here. I forgot there's a scene in issue two where John Kent wants to have a secret identity. So he talks to Damian Wayne. He's like, my dad's Batman, man. Don't, don't sweat it. We will find – we will make you an uh, alter ego – a Clark Kent style alter ego. And so they give him one and, uh, it lasts about four minutes yeah. real time. Yeah. I think like he <laughs> gets to school and there is a shooter and then, you know, I've, I almost said he has no choice but to, but he, I mean, he's, he's Superman. He does have a choice. He can, he can many he ways he can handle it. that, but like he decided whatever. to just, yeah, he just jumps in front of the bullets and gets everything, um, his entire costume is, is ruined. Uh, there it is. There it is. Uh, his, his blonde wig and all that sort of stuff. The guy's name, what is, what is his alter? Finn Connors. Finn Connors. Finn Connors. Uh, <laughs> of the CW? You go, but then yeah. two, yeah, then two pages later, three pages later, it's like, ah, oh, that's done. Never mind. I am glad so that I that really like that. That was a funny I, bit. I yeah. think this is a really good exa- in-story example of the theme that I was trying to poorly articulate before, the idea that like, we are used to old man's restraint versus how youth would approach a situation. And like in the modern age, like the fuck do I need a, like my father's identity is known. I like, what the fuck do I need this for? Like it's, it's questioning the, the um, common tropes in subtle ways. And I thought that that was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. When we read the first issue a while ago and it ends or um, close to ends with Damien agreeing to get him, a secret identity, and I was underwhelmed by that. I thought, oh, so they're yeah. just setting up, well, he's got a secret identity, and he, he's Superman on the side, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm, sure, I'm glad they, they dispatched it as quickly as they did. Uh, another moment with Robin that I thought was very cool, later on, issue five or six, where, um, what's, the, what's the boy's name? Uh, the pink Jay. hair boy. Jay. Jay. Okay. All right. So anyway, he's uh, um, he breaks into Star Labs, and Damien is there, and then they're like, he's like, wait, I know John Kent, and then uh, Lois comes in. <laughs> I thought that was a great yeah. scene, where uh, you know she's like, oh, that's really sweet. You guys are here trying to help John out. Yeah. We should get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Oh, classic Superman Flash moment where he's got to go to the Flash because he doesn't have a lot of time. You know, this is somebody that yeah. he can relay information to quickly, as quickly as he and needs Wally. to. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that conversation that Wally's like, Hey man, I get it. I know what it's like to live in the shadow of really big boots. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you ever want to chat, I was like, yes, this is what I like about DC. This is Mm -hmm. what I like about comic books is, you know, uh, Wally West flash and Kyle Rayner, green lantern. And now John Kent, Superman. I love legacy, man. Mm -hmm. I like history and sort of, even if it is the, um, a constant second act, Give me a second, you know, act 2.5 at least. You know what I mean? Um, I like a little bit of forward momentum. So I, I love that that little scene with Wally West. Uh, Very cool. Two things. The, the first one, the way – so between this and the Tom Taylor's uh, Nightwing slash Flash crossover, um, Tom Taylor should definitely write a Flash book. He, oh, he yeah. needs to take over yeah. Flash because he has – in much like he has Nightwing and uh, Jonathan Kent's voice down and like the idea of um, blazing your own path, I absolutely would love him to tell that story via Wally West because I, I feel like that's yeah. fumbled a little bit here and there and it's just like constantly back and forth. But then again, Brian, you're still on the Flashbook. Are you, I mean, how far behind are you? Like, are they still telling yeah. the same kind of, like they're still trapped in time, I think. Wally no, and no. No? <laughs> no, no, they got out of that. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah, that was. I think we even read the one, but um, I uh, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what they're up to recently. I'm a little behind. I, I, I like I, I think like yeah. him handling the these three characters who are very similar spots mm. but in very different ways. I think would just be an awesome trifecta of comics every month. Um, yeah, but uh, the other it's thing. In, oh. oh no, go ahead. Oh, just it's interesting, J.D., you say in Act 2.5, but uh, that is one of the things maybe that DC does skillfully to you, right? Like, move stuff into the first act, where Barry Allen is Act 1 for 1985 on for Wally West. You know what I mean? So they, they have kind of a knack of creating these legacy characters that then, that's the second act now, and the legacy part oh, is sure. history you know just interesting narrative yeah. mechanics kind of thing yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one moment in here that i thought was funny where superman and superman are talking on the roof and um clark says something like to jonathan is like i'll go tell lois it's like why would you call her lois to your son uh, her um, son yeah. <laughs> like oh see what Lois thinks yeah. about this that, um, you probably say mom right I had I had forgotten the point I wanted to make before but I want to say it now um this book um subverts expectations uh the scene that you had mentioned before with Lois like breaking in and mm. like oh it's so cute that you guys are, are helping like there's a couple times in there where they subvert expectations where I think I had talked a couple weeks ago about like one of my least favorite things in, in, in comics or just like in fiction itself is when you could, <clears throat> you could remove all conflict if you just put like one conversation in there. Like it almost yeah. feels like an inorganic yeah. conflict if it's only yeah. because two people refuse to talk. It's frustrating. This almost does the opposite where in a lesser <laughs> book, there'd be a whole issue of them trying to hide from Lois and Lois being on her thing and like, there would be friction in the family mm-hmm. and this, and because of where all the characters are, and that's not the most interesting way to kind of like bring the conflict about, it's just like, Oh no, like 
her ordinary world is weird and his ordinary world is weird. And they're just going to connect on that and then move on to the next point that matters. Like it's, I think a lesser book would focus more on the wrong thing to just kind of manufacture conflict as opposed to the characters driving the conflict and having the issues with each other. I, it's just a strong book. I like this a lot. I think this is fun. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. I'm even enjoying just flipping through it now. It's like, Oh yeah, this was fun. And this part and this part, um, I like Damien's new costume. It's very cool. Yeah. Without the um, shoes. Yeah, man, this is great. Without the, yeah. Uh, um, do we think that Jay <laughs> is on the up and up? I think like, he's this on. This is a... Yeah, I think he's on the up and up. The only thing that makes me wonder is his choice of masks is <clears throat> very spooky. That's, a, that's an evil villain mask. If you look at that mask, that like weird reptilian... Melty reptilian mask. Oh, that's Jay. That's an evil mask right that there. That's not mask. like, yeah, let's hang out and make out, you know, kind of mask. It, it just makes me wonder. I, without, without any hesitation, trust Dick Grayson. And hmm. Dick Grayson told John to be oh. careful. Oh, did he? In uh, regards, oh, well, that's an issue yeah. Oh, I forgot. Oh, forget that, then. Uh, he, was it, that in the Nightwing? It was in the crossover issues, but it, it wasn't right. like a watch oh, that guy. It. It's just, it was kind of like a, eh. Hmm. Getting, it, like, in no uncertain terms, okay. it's like getting vibes. Just here's, watch your Here's back. what I would think. And I'm like, anything, oh. I would think that Jay is like, he's, he's involved in something that he's not telling the truth of, but he is... Yeah. Uh, at worst, will come clean in the end, and it's all right. Or it's like, well, I was doing this, but that's only because of this kind of thing. Well, I mean, like his, his mom, his yeah. mom is a captured diplomat, right? So yeah. we don't know yeah. what she was into. We don't yeah. know who the actual bad guys yeah. are. If they're more than one bad guys, so I think if they are seeding in comic book style, if they are seeding Jay being a inadvertent antagonist. Yeah. Then yeah. it would it would be in line with the tropes of the genre. I just hope that they do it in a way that is as exciting as really like this book has been. Like I hope it's not just a uh, <laughs> all along. I hope it's more deeper than that. Right? Nuanced. Yeah, more nuanced than that. Yeah. But I'm totally open to him being an uh, uh, unwitting uh, adversary. Why not? Um, oh, and the, so we read issues one through six. Mm-hmm. This is the first volume is one through six. My favorite issue of this book is actually the annual. Mm-hmm. There's an annual where um, the whole thing is John Kent having a conversation a back and forth with Lex Luthor. Mm. And he does something that I, I've wanted more comic book characters to approach, which is, all right, guys, I get, I get billionaires, right? I get that. Uh, y'all just don't think you're going to be here, uh, when the world crumbles and you, you have done nothing to help global warming and, uh, all of the, all of the terrible things that are happening to the planet because of, uh, of humans. And he's like, I, I get it. I understand billionaires just you you don't think you're going to be here so why care about it but lex lex luther i know you're going to pull some effed up shit out of your ass you're going to clone yourself you're going to be 
uh, a brain and a giant monkey. You're going to do some evil genius stuff, and you you will be here. <laughs> Why aren't you doing anything to save the planet? You're going to be around. Uh, and I love I love that conversation. That was like that's the one that I read, and I was like, man, I wish that was in this first uh, volume. Yeah, because that's the one that really sealed the deal for me. I love that conversation with him and Lex Luthor. Sounds cool. And uh, there's a really great um, uh, finale to that. Uh, because his uh, Lex Luthor's sign is on the fritz, and there's a there's a, a thing that Superman does, John Kent does, which I was like, oh, that's kind of cute too. Uh, I don't want to spoil it here, but definitely, if you guys uh, haven't read it yet, check out Superman: Son of Kal El Annual Volume One or Number so One. So to me, that sounds like something an 18 year old would have like the balls to do, and or just approach in a straight way, as opposed to, you know, we're always at at at, uh, at uh, butting heads and we're just not well, Superman or, does frequently say like Luther if only you would use your powers yes, for good in a shame way yeah. as opposed to a, I'm on to you idiot or I'm on to you you jerk like it's it's two different things yeah just the cover just the cover where you've got John Kent in the foreground just Sitting in his chair, sitting in Lex Lex's chair with his feet up on his desk, and Lex is walking in. And who are you supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Anyway, that's I just cool. wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read it, but this was no. That sounds cool though. With yeah, with Luther, awesome. you would think. I guess his deal has always been well, always since the nineties. Um, that like, well, I would do all this stuff. That's what I would be doing if it mm-hmm. wasn't for Superman. And him taking yeah. my attention away. And if I could just get rid of him, then I'd fix the whole world. You know? Oh, here's here's the other nice bit. Is that it's drawn by Steve Pugh. Mm. So it's a good looking book. Mm. Uh, I like Steve Pugh a lot. Oh, Steve Pugh and, um, oh God, who does the, the, oh, he's awesome too. I love him. Uh, he's one of my favorite artists. I can't remember his name. My brain is fritzing. Uh, he did the Flash um, digital series. Clayton Henry. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. drew part of it as well so yeah. anyway sorry anything else before uh, about son of, son of superman everyone should read it everyone should read it yeah read it uh email us your thoughts at coltspopgo at gmail.com and we will talk about it again on the next episode the next episode of the cult pop podcast next monday at uh 9 9 p.m will be what no uh, we will be talking about Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hey, guys. Awesome. Uh, oh, that's that's the other thing. Um, I'm sorry, Brian. That's, all right. that's the other thing, listeners. Uh, if there's a movie or a graphic novel you want us to talk about, please, please, please email us uh, or tweet at – you can tweet at me at JD's Hero Complex. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at Johnny Destructo. I make stupid little videos. Brian, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I just had, since we're wrapping up, I had a a question. It was a thought about Sandman, and I just wanted to see what your opinions were uh, or anyone in the chat. One of the things that I would have liked to have seen is them to all be the color white, right? Like they are in the comics. All of the endless oh, yeah. are white, like, uh, and appear at sometimes in different human flesh tones, depending on who's looking and whatever, but predominantly... They're white uh, and the color. Yeah, you, you, you mean, mean like, 
like white, like paint like, white, like white paint. That is white. why I keep not saying Caucasian. the color. Yeah, yeah, not Caucasian. Yes. They, that is an important distinction too. That perhaps just saying the color doesn't doesn't clarify. Not Caucasian white. White the color um, like the, on the, whatever the, the pigments shelves uh, behind you. The shelves white. behind me for the listeners. That is the color white. The I, I, I feel like that context existed before you. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, his actually, those are IKEA shelves, and they're they're labeled Caucasian. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird, but yeah. that's the it's, region uh, that they're with from. With a K, Caucasian, like uh, it's some, it's some <laughs> yeah. Swedish spelling of Caucasian because uh, it's Swedish. Doesn't matter to me one whit. Yeah, well, that wasn't my question. Actually. Or one white. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it sets them apart in the comic. They're non-human looking, right? And, uh, you know, their eyes, I think, are mostly all black and their skin is and their skin is all white. And I wonder if the reason that they didn't do that, and this is my question, is it because they figured that that would make them much less relatable? That, like, on a screen, yeah. that is much less human and than it is on the page you, where you you're... Just- very yeah, used to seeing stuff like that. You describing that sounds like aliens, and I, I think that that's right. an obvious choice, like visually, in motion at least, yeah. to not have them be so uh, separated from just... Like, yeah. so different. Yeah. Right. And it works visually in the comic because they are different. They're yeah. very different. And it's also seated there that, like, humans don't really see them like that when they see them at all. They see them like somebody they are, you know? Um but yeah, I bet that's why. And it would it would be cool if it could work and it would separate them even more. But I barely thought about it while watching it. If and, it was uh, something that see what your guys' opinions. Were. If it was something that would have been done visually, I could. I would not want everyone to be personally. I would not want everyone to be uh, gaunt, white, white with black eyes. Maybe hmm. color grade each character differently. Like maybe they have a black and white kind of sheen to them when they're not being perceived by other characters. But that's just like a story, like in a comic that works because you have static images. Yeah. But that would just exactly. be such a complicated well, thing in motion. Human form. Yeah. yeah. You don't have them moving around, which would get very inhuman very quickly. I yeah. Think. And also, I mean, it's cool that all the endless look the same because they are the endless, you know, and mm. it separates them. But in in the show, I, I definitely don't think it's necessary, but yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that they made that change. I don't think it's, mm. yeah. Anyway. Indeed. All right, very good. Good question though. Thank you. Um, all right guys, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, oh, and Mars Comics is, I love Mars is so, thank you for Mars for hanging out with us. Mars says, I think you are correct, Brian. Thank you, Mars, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, oh, by the way, Mars, oh. I still have this comic book put aside for you. Uh, step by bloody 19 step. months ago. Super great show. Great conversation. Thank you for the comic book reviews. Thanks, Mars, for hanging out with us. And everyone else who joined us, we got a new subscriber on our YouTube while mm. this was happening. So thank you so much. Nice. Uh, also, go go subscribe to our Twitch because we have like 20, 20 people following us. Uh, all right. Love you guys. And we will talk at you later. Thanks so much for listening to Spoiler Alert. Check out all our shows, including the Cannibal Horrorcast, where we review classic and contemporary horror. Oh, it's so spooky! And Gutter Talk with the Black Tribbles, recorded live every week at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Nanyang, PA. Yeah.
Oh, oh, oh.